Hello and welcome to this edition of The Screen Podcast, which is the podcast for the global screen business publication, Screen International. I'm Matt Mueller, Screen's editor, and this week we speak to Luca Guadagnino and David Kajanik, who are the director and writer of Bones and All, the feature adaptation of Camille de Angelis's 2015 novel about a pair of young cannibals fleeing across 1980s America and developing a romantic attachment along the way. The film stars Timothée Chalamet, reuniting with Guadagnino for the first time since Call Me By Your Name, and Taylor Russell, who was a long-running player in Netflix's Lost in Space series, but who gets her breakout big-screen role here as Marin, a teenager who cannot control her cannibalistic urges. Bones and All premiered at Venice Film Festival in September, with United Artists releasing in the US and Warner Brothers in most international territories. Guadagnino and Kajanik are also producers on the film, which marks their third collaboration following A Bigger Splash and Suspiria. They spoke to our international reporter Ben Dalton during the BFI London Film Festival about how they set out to make a different kind of cannibal movie, how David's cameo in the film as a Greyhound bus driver ended up on the cutting room floor, and why Luca is planning an extended theatrical cut for his film A Bigger Splash. Bones and All was released on November 18th in the United States and November 23rd in the UK. Over to you, Ben, Luca and David. Hello everyone and welcome to The Screen Podcast. My name is Ben Dalton, I'm international reporter at Screen International and today we are talking about Bones and All, a cannibal romance road movie that premiered in competition at Venice Film Festival where it won two awards. Best Director for Luca Guadagnino and the Marcelo Mastroianni Award for Best Emerging Performer for Lead Actress Taylor Russell. I'm delighted to be joined by Luca and screenwriter David Kajanik. Welcome to you both. Thank you, thank you. Um, you we're here in London and you've just had the BFI London Film Festival special presentation. How are you finding traveling again with another film and sort of being back in awards season? Are you ready for maybe four or five more months of this? <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me today, I would say no, no. <laughs> Quite tired. Yeah, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to... I don't know why. Let, let's try to analyze why I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, I guess it's the hotel food, which is heavy <laughs> and, and difficult to process. And I never remember that I should not eat it or I shouldn't eat less, probably. <laughs> and also like sleep deprivation because you finish late, you start early. And I, I think I've been, we've been in Venice for the festival. I didn't stop. Yeah. So it's been a month, a chunky month of moving around like bam, 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 bam. Sure, sure. How are you finding it, David? Well, it, this seems to be a film people really want to talk a lot about. And so what maybe would be more casual conversations with another film are charged more with this film. And so I found myself in a lot of intense conversations I wasn't anticipating or expecting. <laughs> Does it make it easier that you've done this before you know with other films does it make it easier to go back on the award season path as you're more familiar with the rhythm of it i, I didn't know we were in the awards I didn't either. <laughs> I think this is news to us okay okay well we'll start it now <laughs> no well yeah there's, there's look a lot more excitement to come around the film but um it's a return to feature film for you both after you've you know, been working in tv recently and as a road movie this has sort of distinct scenes and locations why did you feel that feature film was right for this story as opposed to potentially an episodic format? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, you should answer first, but I only want to say that I never really had my dichotomy in my mind. I think of film. I yeah. don't think of yeah. film versus something else. But I hadn't realized we did both go to television for a minute. The terror. 
<laughs> we are who we are. <laughs> there we go. Um, um, it didn't occur to me that this would be... It a, never been for no, you no, uh, no. anything but, but that. No, a film, but a film. Because I think the, the, this, the this, I don't want to call it a metaphor exactly, but the catalyst of cannibalism, you know, it's so important that it not be fetishized or overly mythologized. And I think the longer a narrative is around this subject, the more you would have to support that metaphor rather than let it just be simply organically in the center, naturalistically in the center of the story. Does this tie in, I've read previously that you talked about it as a combination of this quite extreme topic, but with an almost classical storytelling subject matter. Does that tie into that, that this is a classical, classically told feature film? Is that how you see it, Luca? Um, I am someone interested in classic classicism. I have uh, good arguments against postmodernism. The most important argument of all is that those who practice it in cinema, particularly, they have no idea of what really is postmodernism, and they exchange this kind of like shake of influences and wink. Uh, attitude toward the audience for postmodernism. So uh, in front of that kind of like embarrassment, I much rather prefer to be classicist. Having said that, I think this is a fable for me. It's a fairy tale. There is a quality to it that really compelled me to think of the quest of the hero through the, the challenges in the woods, being America of the 80s in this case. So in that, uh, I think more, the, the more than classicism, there is a sort of universality. And also, what's better than having amazing characters drawn by a writer and then embodied by amazing actors? And so what's best than being invisible and, and observing them? Sure, sure. And I think you guys succeeded uh, in doing that. Um, you, mentioned the, you mentioned the cannibalism aspect. Obviously, you've got Camille's book, Camille Angelis, who wrote the, the book. But beyond that, David, how do you go about researching cannibalism? Because it's not like there's people you can talk to, yeah. Or do you even do that? Do you just go from the book? Well, I knew that the you know we would need to have some physical, by which I mean the physics of eating, you know, some kind of physical understanding of how one you know, human eats another sort of human. But uh, I certainly didn't revel in that in the research for the film. I mean, it was but much more important that I understood not the reasons why they were eating, because it's, I think it's best if we just accept that these characters must do that, but their choices around whether they were going to try to think of it through an ethical lens, a moral lens, some kind of other social lens, are there emotional attachments they have to eating in the way that people do? Um, do they find themselves um, altering their their process after being seen by anyone in particular. It's, it's, it, I, it was those psychological and emotional elements that fascinated me. And I thought, you know, we will, we will settle the practical specifics and logistics of eating when we have to shoot it. But I tried not to, again, I tried not to fetishize it for myself and just use a, use a very plain set of tools to depict it. Sure. And how do you then go about transmitting that to your actors, Luca, when David's put that in the script? Well, it was a matter of fact, and it was based on reality, and it was simple. And it was there not for the shock value, but it was for the behavior. So we really studied a lot. And uh, gave them beautiful props to play with. But in, 
in in a very very matter of fact way and then editorially we really been quite convinced that we had to go for the suggestion or what happens off frame more than what happens in frame okay why do you feel that was important to suggest instead of showing too much because this is a love story it's a it's a grandiose love story and it is grandiose because it's set against the backdrop of this america and because these kids they feel this very heightened emotions and they're really facing impossibility and that it wasn't more it wasn't a shock value movie not for me at least no, I, I think yeah, that, that comes across very well. Um, and your performances that you get from the actors, I mean, they're fantastic performances of balancing those things. Now, Taylor is extraordinary in the film. What is it about her as a performer that draws the audience in so well? Because in the film, she's, she's not sort of dancing and singing and shouting. It's all quite interior. But what is it about her as a performer that really draws people in? Well, she has the profundity of her gaze. You can see that you can really... Uh, jump in the in in the lake of her eyes, and through those eyes there is a mobility, and there is a sense of like uh, uh, many different things that happen at the same time. That she can communicate beautifully this sense of abandonment, and she it's incredible how she managed to perform uh, the blossoming of a young woman into womanhood throughout the character development. She's a really an extraordinary actress. And I don't think they're an actor that is extraordinary because they make faces and they have like all these little techniques that they resort to. It's just the, the way in which the invisible becomes visible through behavior. It's extraordinary. I was going to ask how was she like to work with on set as you've worked with many accomplished actors in your career? I've been lucky. I've been lucky. I've been lucky. I've been working 95% of the time with wonderful people who are fun to work with, that they're light to work with, and they are committed to work with and she doesn't make uh, an exception here sure sure i know you said that uh, it had to be timothy for his role you had sort of him in mind or anything was this something you discussed with each other before sort of putting it out to him did you talk about i think i told you i said to me to you if timothy does the movie i'm gonna do the movie <laughs> this was like an hour and a half after he sent me the script i was being driven from spain to italy and I was sitting in the car, and so I read the script. It was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I think. And uh, at 5, I called you. And then at 6, I sent the script to Brian Swartz from the agent of Timothy. And then I think at 9, the script was in his hands. And then two days later, I was in Rome talking to him. And then four days later, we, he was in Milan talking to me, and we spoke to him. So in, within a week, we were already in motion. No? Yeah. That's how, yeah, how it went, absolutely. more or less. Yeah. Was he someone who was in your mind when you were writing, David? Uh, no, out of a, you know maybe a surplus of humility, but also it, it doesn't pay. It, there are no dividends to, to be had writing for that. Uh, Dave sees all uh, in every character. He sees himself. Uh, no, I didn't think of anyone. I try not to. Uh, uh, it's true that you don't. You I, use yourself as a blank uh, page. <laughs> <laughs> You prefer not to cast actors as you're writing, as you. you, you... Well, I don't. I'm certainly, if if I've, you know, if the writer is sort of reflexively codifying someone's nervous system or personality into a role, that's not going to benefit a casting director or a director later. It's, you know, and I know how much Luca loves me, so I just put myself right in the middle of he would every be role, fantastic in every, every role. character. One day we <laughs> But then thinking of media part two, exactly. All, all Dave's. 
you, you heard it here first. Uh, you know that they played a, a role in the movie and then we cut it. Man. I didn't know this. What this was, was the your... first time you'd done that to me, by the way. To cut you? Yes. Remember I was a drunk Australian in a bigger splash? Yeah. Had lines, everything. Gone. On the cutting room floor. This time I was a Greyhound driver, but it's better that you cut my part because I couldn't physically shut the door with one arm. Which, that wasn't you know, the problem. There, there was no problem in your performance. Your performance was fantastic, actually. Is that uh, we wanted her to reach Indiana quickly. Yeah, quick, quick, quick. Sure, sure. Do you make it into an even bigger splash? Are you? Oh, I think yeah, you're pro yes, you're probably right. You do? I'm restored. There we go. You so are in an even bigger splash. You, te <laughs> you definitely are. Yes, maybe sort of more bones and all in 10 years' time, you know, we'll see. <laughs> you're, no, you're, no, 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 no. No, okay, there we go. Never see. Um, no, because a, a bigger splash, I'm profoundly proud of a bigger splash, but, you know, there was some kind of bittersweet feeling about the first draft of the movie, the first draft of the editing, which left all of us, uh, like, nostalgic about it, but including the studio, like, mm. like, like, it's not, it wasn't the first time that Ron Halpert from Studio Canal called me and said, don't you think of making in two parts for a streamer? And I resisted the idea. And then when we, when I was awarded this beautiful honor at the Code Film Festival a Career Award, uh, I felt I had to reciprocate the kindness to do some kindness to them. And I called Walter Fasano, my editor. I said, Walter, what kind of like little little charcuterie we can bring to the festival? And he said to me. I still believe that the three hours and 10 minutes of a bigger splash is fantastic. And, I, and he sent me the link and I watched it again. And then I sent it to Ron Halpern and he watched it again. And that was like, yeah, let's go for it. And we showed it at the festival, like from the Avid. So it's like with all the... Oh, really? Yeah. It's huh. like an Avid cut of it. Huh. And, uh, but in the meantime, Studio Canal went like bullish about it. said, no, 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 no. We must finalize this and we have to re-release it. And it's fun because I got a message from um, Alberto Barbera, the festival director of Venice, a few days ago, who read in the news that I was doing this. I said, why didn't you tell me anything? <laughs> because it was my first film in competition invited in Venice. Yes. So now we're doing it. And, um, and I'm very excited because, first of all, it is playing the dynamic, the, 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 the construction, right? Yeah. that we had you had conceived in the script and also because it's super fun it's a lot of fun it's very funny i'm so happy that's happening it's so funny and also we open with a beautiful sequence that the great peter sushitsky shot in london okay that i was so 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 sad that we had lost but now it's back Okay, and we're going to be seeing that in cinemas, do you think, the, the, an even bigger Well, I, I, I can't uh, really speak for that, but I think the, the aim would be that. Okay, okay, well, that's certainly something for audiences to look forward to. Um, the film will live twice. Hmm. But that's not something you see yourself doing with other films? You think it's just for this? No, no, no. Just for this one? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, coming back to, to Bones and all... And also, it's not that we are releasing... A, we, I'm not uh, obliterating a bigger splash. I have a bigger splash as a twin brother who's called an even bigger splash. They're they're brothers. You see, there's two different projects. Yeah, you can watch them both if you like. Okay, okay. In the same evening. <laughs> Which should go first? Three and then two. 
maybe that's a, a double bill for a cinema to, to program. Um, coming back to Bones and All, this is a first credit for Timothy as a producer. Um, why did you bring him on in that capacity? What was it about him that sort of, yeah, seemed right to give him that credit? Well, it's a number of reasons. I think he, he invested himself in the process of developing the movie from his standpoint with really beautiful boldness and really much candid uh, commitment. And uh, also he was instrumental in making the movie happen in the way we made it, financially as well. And he was, uh, you know, like when you have a big star like that, who goes into the Midwest and uh, he works into this low-key in the ways, not complicating things, but actually facilitating things, that's enormously contribute. And it's an enormous contribution to the process of product producing a movie. Yeah. And Danny was wonderful and gracious in supporting the movie throughout the phases of the sale of the movie, all the way down to the marketing of the movie. Like he's the guy behind the ideas of, of this beautiful trailer that Mark Wallen cut uh, with the Leonard Cohen song that was put, that was his idea. He's, uh, it's beautiful to see a young man growing up into a man with thoughtfulness, and precision and also desire to do things. Also, like, you know, like when you have a movie star, sometimes you have movie stars who are like defend their public image. So they don't want the public image to be kind of like jeopardized by what could come across through their characters. And in fact, Timothy is the opposite. He goes for it. He's bombastic and he wants to challenge himself. He doesn't want the status quo or even worse. He doesn't want his public image to become his character ever. It must be very helpful to have a big star who is so willing to get involved on so many different levels with the film. You know, I've been lucky. I've been lucky because I've been given the possibility to work um, in a very, very um, exciting and, 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 and risky way by this amazing group of actors that I've been working for many years now. It's interesting you mentioned that group of actors. We obviously have Michael Stuhlbarg here again, who is playing a role about as far from his role in Call Me By Your Name as, as one could imagine, which is a credit to Michael's skills as a performer. Do you like the idea of working with the same group of actors again, but getting them to do such different things? Is that something you're keen to keep doing, Luca? Yeah, of course. So you want to sort of bring back people you've... you've I like to bring back my, 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 my posse, and I'd like to invite new people inside the posse, right? But that doesn't affect you, David, when you're writing, if you're, you know, you were to work together again of thinking, oh, I might be writing. No, actually, we're working on a new movie, and I think you'd be delighted to know that some of the people you, we love... Sure, but don't tell from me other who, movies, yeah. Don't tell me who yet, but I would love that, of course. ...are going to come back, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you one name. No, shh, don't tell me. <laughs> okay. René Sotendik. Ah! You love René Sotendik? Of course I do. I mean... There we go. Okay, that's that's interesting. Don't though. tell me which part. Can we talk about René Sotendik for a second? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know she, right? Yes, yeah. She's the but... sublime star of Paul Verhoeven, The Fort Man, and many others, who plays Mrs. Huller, I think, in Suspiria. Such a witty woman, such a great actress. And what's this new project that she's going no, to do? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. not, for, not for publication yet, okay. okay. Are you not saying anything about it? Nothing. Oh no! You said something. <laughs> a little something. It's okay, but somewhere only else. what you said. Somewhere else. Place. Somewhere else. In another outlet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're okay. Okay. We'll come back to that hopefully. Was uh, it like a German outlet? No. American. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to be absolutely <laughs> All right. Well, you, you said, and it was, wasn't any more than you told the New Yorker. It's okay. okay. Is it a film? Can we say that? Yes, yes. It's a film. Okay. It's not TV. <laughs> That's as uh, Was there ever a possibility of, obviously, having Michael and Timothy of working with Army Hammer on this film? Was that never? Which movie? On Bones and All. Was that ever? No, I don't think there was a role for him in this. It just wasn't the right. Uh, are you still, is he still part of your group of actors? Are you still in touch with Army? Army has been, uh, I haven't seen him for a long time, and then I saw him recently this summer. Okay, okay. So he's still someone you're in contact with. That's, you know. Why shouldn't I? <laughs> but you should, Why shouldn't I? He's been, you know, through some well-publicized uh, controversies. That I don't so see these things. That's not something you're interested in. I'm not. At all. That's fair enough. Not even to discuss it. That's also fair enough. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you've had a wonderful launch for Bones and All at Venice, which you have a very strong history with the festival. Why was that the right place to start the film's journey? It's my... It's my festival. I've been there like many times. I've been invited in the jury. I've been presenting films that I directed and produced. It's a play. It's a beautiful festival. It's Mostra d'Arte Cinematografica, which translates into exhibition for uh, the cinematograph, the cinema art, which I think is quite fantastic. It still is invested by that mission. And Alberto Barbera is a wonderful director of the festival. And we felt it was the right time. We showed the movie to him very early in February. Loved it. How was your experience, David? How was, yeah. You did twice, right? Three, yeah, yeah this, was, this was my third time with you each time. Um, All the Kajanic movies went yeah. the competition <laughs> yeah, in Venice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. as a place to start. I mean, obviously, it's it lends, um, I don't know, a kind of cultural integrity to the proceedings, right? I mean, it's such a, such a collection of talented, smart, um, aggressively smart, people, right? And I don't know that there's, you know, some festivals you get a little whiff of sensationalism and you don't in Venice. And I, I just think you learn to distrust the people who want the sensationalism to be a part of the process. Sure, sure. Luca, you mentioned that uh, Mostra Cinematografica, the, the sort of cinematic show. Venice over recent years has programmed quite a lot of titles that have gone to be on streaming platforms, including from yourselves. Is there a chance Myself, of that? I never had anything in streaming. With Suspiria played eventually on... Was in theatres first. In theatres first, yes, yes. Do so the movie was made for theatres and then went on, the on streaming. All my all movies goes to streaming eventually. Sure. That's the end of it. But, uh, but uh, all my movies so far have been theatrical release. So you think that... You don't think there's a danger with films, you know, for example, from Netflix, not in your case here, but with lots of Netflix films being in Venice? I wouldn't participate to any kind of quarreling against the politics of a festival, neither of the agenda of a, of a big studio or a streamer. I don't think that's my, my, my space and my place to say anything about it. If uh, Alberto Barbera believes that uh, a movie that has uh, a Netflix banner on top of it or any other streamers should be deemed to be invited in competition, I think he has the freedom and the right to do so and I, nobody should chastise that decision. Uh, and, um, and I'm not, I don't think my opinion matters, to be honest. What matters is whatever I decide to do and if I want to do something uh, in that realm or not. And if I'm going to have the occasion and the occasion will be right, maybe. I don't know. It's not my. It's not for me to say if something is right or wrong. It's not your the concern of yours. Is there someone whose opinion you think does matter on this about whether films go in cinemas? Is it purely down to the festival directors to, to make their choice? Who else should decide? I'm interested to know if, uh, particularly as 
in Italy. Um, cinemas have struggled since sort of coming back from the pandemic. And so many films sort of playing in an Italian festival. You will be in. delighted to know that uh, The Hand of God by Paolo Sorrentino, who was a Netflix title, ended up being in the platform, was released for like 20 days prior to the opening in the net, in the, on the platform in Italy. And even though they do not distribute numbers, I can tell you that I've seen the numbers of what happened in theaters. And the movie was a huge financial success. That's very good to hear. Mm -hmm. um, it's not been the case in Italy generally, you know, where numbers are, are way down. Well, like again, the uh, theatrical distribution in Italy has been struggling for a long time now, and COVID didn't make it right better. But with the right movie, people go to see movies. So. Sure, sure. Which we very sure they will with bones and all. And um, can yes. you tell me about working with with Warner Brothers, who are you know distributing the film internationally? I, I am delighted that they are incredible, incredible distribution, amazing a group of professionals who works at the top of their game, and they even make us be better people. It's fantastic. Their work is beautiful. And, you know, I love, I love systems. I love mechanisms. I love, like, environment of work. And uh, so I don't, I don't think my job ends with shooting a movie or editing a movie, but it goes on and on until the last moment of... Uh, being uh, on the front line of supporting my movie and to see a team of work working like that, it's really inspiring. And how about for yourself, David? Do you stay involved beyond, you know, into those conversations about distribution? He's a producer. Well, yeah. so of course, he's yeah. a producer as well, yes. Uh, for conversations where I have something to offer, sure, but, but there's, a, there's a real danger of, of um, cluttering up the process with you know, sort of a lack of decisiveness where the, you know, the decisiveness coming from Luca or from you know, really the people that are at the very heart of this conversation about how to market the film, how to release the film. They don't need, need extra opinions. This is a very sort of impeccable group of people with a fantastic sense of timing and all the rest of it. Sure, sure. Uh, this is one of those strange coincidences. We've got this film that is, you know, using cannibalism as the characters who are indulging in that. There's been a strange coincidence of several projects in the last, let's say, year or so that have featured cannibalism in some way. Now, it's, I think, one of those strange quirks that just happens in, you know, film and TV that occasionally you get a few projects has been, uh, there was a film on Disney called Fresh. There's a series on Netflix at the moment about a you know, serial killer who indulged in that. Is there something deeper in the popularity of this that means that motif works well at the moment? Is there something about that motif of cannibalism that people are engaging with? Well, I would ask you in response if you think that the sort of hold that zombies have had on popular horror culture for the last decade, if that was coming out of the zeitgeist somehow. Surely there's a relationship, but it might be too early to know why cannibalism moment is now. But and yet the, the Catholic Church has been exactly, yeah. metaphorizing cannibalism yeah, sure. every day for a thousand years. Sure. Yes. Do you, I know you've spoken before that this is the Catholic Church, you know, has a history with cannibalism in terms of it being represented in, you know, eating the, the blood and the body. Has there been any response to the Catholic Church from the Catholic Church to the film? Do you have no, but I can promise you that some of the best Film critics I know are 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 from uh, uh, Catholic news uh, newsletters like Famiglia Cristiana oh, you read me. or yeah. L'Avenire. Yeah. yeah, you read me some of them. Yeah, very um, good. 
is that still something that's part of your life in a significant way, Catholicism? Is... I've never been Catholic. No. I had a lot of nuns in my family, but I've never been Catholic. A lot of nuns? Yeah, yeah, like at least four. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, wow. But it wasn't ever... Yeah. How about for you, David? Is religion... No is nuns. That... No, no, no nuns. nuns. Okay, okay. He's Quaker. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> moving away from, yeah, the religious side, there's also... You know, this is been written about as a, this is a Reagan era story, Ronald Reagan era story uh, about people who are left outside of a time that was seen great economic growth. Uh, is economic growth the best way to measure a, a successful and sort of beneficial society? Well, economic growth has always been in antagoni antagonizing. Uh, it's going to be always at the expense of somebody. And usually it's at the expense of the majority of the uh, working class. Do you, do you see it that way? It's hard, it's hard for me to imagine democracy and capitalism proceeding apace together, hand in hand. Usually when one is in full swing, the other is in suffering. Yeah, suffering. Okay, so might we see reducing the amount of economic growth and a more of a focus, do you think, in Western societies on welfare of people? Do you think yeah, that's something welfare state is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Empathy costs something. Okay. National health system is important. Okay. Okay. Well, I think. Don't yes. you think so? I absolutely agree. Do you like your prime minister? <laughs> I would stay clear too much of my opinions, but uh, I think it's something certainly that people are discussing very much is you know whether economic growth is something we should be shooting for too much. But well, it depends of on to the benefit of whom and what it means economic growth, because growth can be of a speed and of a number. It doesn't need to be obscene. Sure. And again. Welfare state is a good thing. I, I could, would absolutely agree with that. Um, just to finish off, Luca, uh, now that you've you've wrapped on challenges, I believe. Uh, challenges. Oh, I wrapped and, and I'm almost done with it. Done with that one. Um, is there a point in your schedule when you might be revisiting Call Me By Your Name? So there's something that's being discussed that maybe you would go back to those characters, to Elio particularly? I'm really revisiting Bigger Splash now, so I, I'm busy doing that. Okay, so maybe some point in the future. Let's see. Thank you so much. Thank David you. Thank you. It was lovely to speak with lovely you. Lovely to have you. All the best. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Screen Podcast. Thank you to my colleague, Ben, and to our guests, David and Luca. And thank you very much for listening. The Screen Podcast is available to subscribe to wherever you listen. Please do rate and review us along the way. And also keep up with the latest news from the international screen industries at ScreenDaily.com and follow us on Twitter at ScreenDaily. Hope you enjoyed the episode. See you next time.